we're doing another review incentive. So at the end of May 2024, we're going to pick one person who wrote a review between now and then to get a free one-on-one session with me. Instructions are in the description of this episode. And I just want to express how much I appreciate you. At this point, if you're a regular listener, you've got a whole bunch of access to the truth of who I am and to my soul. And that makes me feel really, really good. That is exactly the type of relationship that I want for us to be cultivating together. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for your review. I hope it's you that I get to do a one-on-one with. I appreciate you so much. Hello, and welcome to the Flynn Skidmore podcast. My goal is to help you become exactly who you want to be. We're here to help you take your biggest, boldest, most beautiful vision for life and turn that vision into reality. Welcome back to the Flynn Skidmore podcast. My guest today is Brian Yang. You may know him on Instagram and TikTok as Awakening with Brian. His content has popped off for good reason. Brian is incredible. Today's conversation is a deep dive into attachment. We explore relationship dynamics that are going to blow your mind. Brian's insight is absolutely phenomenal, mind-expanding, super tangible. And then we get into an existential conversation about what it means to be people who create content, trying to help the world. And I know you will find Brian's perspective on that absolutely fascinating. I found it super helpful. I can't wait for you to listen. Let's dive in. Okay, so when when did you start to realize that you have some sort of special capacity for emotional intelligence? That's a great question. <laughs> when did I first realize that? Um, you know, I guess I'll answer in two parts. Um, for one, I grew up as a you know growing up as a child. I was always given sort of the um, the praise from adults that I, I'm like a little a little adult, very mature, more mature for my age. I would come to find out that later on that, that a lot of that is due to trauma. But at the same time, it gives you gifts, right? Gifts can give you both the pain and the gift. And you know, trauma can give you both a gift and the pain, you know, the polarity together. But I do remember having bits and pieces like, oh, I'm so mature. I'm able to kind of see both sides. Mm-hmm. Which partly because I've had to see both sides of my parents yelling and screaming at each other, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was my childhood, a lot of it, anyways. And so there is that. And then you know, I guess over time, people would I, I would get a lot of people coming to me just for advice, you know, my perspective and kind of grounded, uh, balanced. Again, seeing both sides because there is always both sides to things because I can see both perspectives. And I think because of the way I developed, I've always had this kind of innate ability to not just see something from one, one perspective or my perspective. I'm always seeing like, well, you know, yes, this is how I feel, but it's understandable where they're coming from. And, and perhaps there was a survival mechanism to that that I had to learn to get me through childhood, right? Um, yeah. What What do you think is the ingenuity of that? What do you think is sort of the the nervous system genius of inventing the technology of being able to see multiple perspectives? Yeah, I mean, I think um, 
you know, when you when you're around both parents. Now, I'll, I'll see if I can kind of synthesize it, you know, to that question of like, what's the nervous system stuff that's happening inside? But I'll, I'll try to a- answer it from more like um, just kind of awareness mechanic perspective first, and we'll see where that goes. But love it. I mean, you know, I could see my mom's pain a lot, how she would think, because she would voice her feelings to me all the time, right? Again, coming back to like the the childhood stuff. I essentially was parentified by her. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like her best friend and she would vent all her crap to me, right? This was happening. This is how she felt with her husband or boyfriend. Um, and, and you know, I got really intimate into the inner workings of her psychology as mm-hmm. as a result of that, mm-hmm. right? A gift and a curse at the same time, right? And, and did you enjoy, like, like did it... Does it did it feel good to bond with her in that way? It was like that was material for closeness for you. Absolutely, you know. Mm-hmm. I think there's a. I felt like that I was able to be needed, mm-hmm. and that was the connection. Was like I was there for her, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think that is really what kind of laid a lot of the foundation for my ability to, to be more curious and and, and explorative as far as emotional intelligence goes, because I could, mm-hmm. you know, I was just, it was just kind of like laid out on me. And so, you know, it was just there and I could see it, I could feel it. And then, then I could also see some of that on, you know, I had various father, father figures, but on, on the, the, the masculine side, you know, whether it was um, stepdad, boyfriends or whatever, I could also kind of just see their struggles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the other side of that and how difficult it was for them to be with my mom and why that was. Mm. Right. So you, like, you could see, you could see that. from their perspective, they were, they mm. were expressing some things about what about a relationship with your mom was difficult in some ways. Yes. And you could actually see that you, you weren't defensive yeah. about that. You were like, okay, yeah, I can actually see that. And I get that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's cool. Being able to do that at a young age about your mom, even if it's like other father figures and boyfriends and stuff is a pretty remarkable thing to be able to access. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's an interesting conversation because I don't think I've ever described or reflected on this quite like that, but it is absolutely like, like I said, like I was saying before, a gift and a curse at the same time. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's also like pain associated with that. Because if I was not that person, then like coming back to kind of what you were hinting at, I wouldn't have that connection. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have a sense of purpose, importance to feel seen um, and so on and so forth. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's the only way I could like function to have connection was like to be in that role essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it served multiple purposes. And, and did it help you connect with the father figures? You know, wasn't as strong with the father figures primarily with me and my mom. Mm-hmm. So it was like maybe it was like eighty percent of that was like me and my mom, and maybe twenty mm-hmm. percent or even less was me and the father figures. It was more difficult me and me and the various father figures were quite frankly it was hard to connect emotionally. I could just see it, perceive it, mm-hmm. but the emotional connection was lacking. Yes, that's what I Penny was going to ask you about because <laughs> I was I was I was wondering about this because like it one of the things that I realized when I was about eighteen this this hit me like a brick in the face. And once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it anymore. I realized that generally women are aware of the pain and the insecurity underneath 
the performance of masculinity that most men are doing. And men may not be as aware of that thing that's happening. They may be like kind of aware, but, but hoping that they're getting away with it, with somehow hiding the pain that's there. But some, generally women seem to be aware of it. What I'm hearing you say, and I, this is really resonating with me because I had such a similar experience as a, as a kid uh, in terms of what I'm noticing about people's internal worlds and, and holding different perspectives. I'm hearing almost there's this like feminine superpower in you to recognize the pain in men that they may not be aware of and understand that to make sense of the dynamics that you're seeing around you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it is an interesting gift that, you know, forged through the, the fires of the environment that I grew up in, um, that now obviously, you know, um, very long journey, but now obviously it's exactly what I guide people through, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely, and I, and I do see that too with the people that mo- both my audience and clients. The majority of them are women, not all of them, but the majority of it, because again, like what you're saying, they're more in tune with their emotions, they're more in tune with their pain, therefore, mm-hmm. right? Whereas men, not so much. There's a lot more, I think. Um, I think there's a lot of just, I think there's, there's some innate stuff with just the masculine energy, but a lot of it's also just societal, which then kind of bleeds into, you know, familial family, um, ecosystems where the man is just not, uh, given the role model or the training or the, 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 you know, the support to get in touch with their emotions safely mm-hmm. and be more in tune with them. Mm-hmm. And so, um, they disc- they the condition is like perform right mm-hmm. achieve um the the, the success um, you know that kind of thing right I'm the provider I'm the creator I have to make things happen that way as as a way to cope with uncomfortable emotions mm-hmm. women obviously very different to that so absolutely you know I see that for across the board for sure one of the things that I a pattern that I am noticing and I get this feedback from women a lot. So one of the things that men seem to do is to, um, I guess one way of describing it is one, the kinder way of describing it is reveal their pain in intimate settings with women. Uh, uh, maybe more critical way of describing that is trauma dumping onto women, but like a, 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 an interesting pattern that seems to be emerging right now it's like part of the equation of ghosting includes early trauma dumping to form some version of intimacy and then sex happens and then ghosting happens. And I hear a lot of women who are confused about this pattern. Like, why is this man, this man is like, uh, seems to be communicating a desire for closeness with me. He's telling me all about his trauma, which I think is a relatively new thing for men to perceive that it's desirable for them to be in and communicate pain. So they're doing that, having sex and then ghosting. I'm curious if you are noticing something similar, what you think might be going on with that. Yeah, it's an interesting one. You know, I don't think it's been brought up in quite that way, um, you know, in the communication I've had with my audience or clients as far as like that that pattern, right? Where the man dumps their problems onto the woman because it, it maybe creates a sense of vulnerability the woman feels close and then it creates the opportunity for sex and deeper intimacy and the man disconnects as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that disconnecting part 
absolutely always happens. Um, I mean, it happens a lot, particularly with men with an avoidant attachment style, right? Talking about attachment style, because that's not always true for all men. Some There are men that have anxious attachment. I have clients who are men with anxious attachment where that's not the, the case for them. Um, the woman is the one that disconnects. If, I, if anything, the woman uses int- uh, sex for um, the intimacy, but then like doesn't want actual emotional in- intimacy, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. that's on a smaller percentage still there. And so, you know, um, well, saying that maybe a, a bigger sense with attachment styles, I'll, I'll move it towards that direction with men that have avoid attachment. You know, there's a natural, through whatever traumas and, and childhood experiences, there's some kind of association where intimacy, like actual intimacy, emotional intimacy that would potentially be there after sex and lead on to deeper and deeper commitment and longer term, you know, engagement with one another. There's a pain associated with that, right? Whether they're conscious of it or not. Mm-hmm. And that pain is, could very well be very similar to what I experienced. It's very, it's very buckets of different types of pain, right? For me, it was the parent, the enmeshment, that closest felt like a, uh, a huge responsibility, a drag, a chore, right? Obligation, loss of obligation, freedom. exactly. And so that could be a, what's happening there for them. Um, but also, you know, there's a lot of various flavors of the of the traumas we experienced growing up. So maybe, you know, um, and it might even go into maybe a little bit of a disorganized attachment thing, where like they want the closeness, but when it gets too close, um, there's also association with maybe abuse, maybe physical abuse, emotional abuse, maybe being betrayed abandoned right it's not all like you know one thing and so that's their way of just kind of getting a little taste of some pleasure have some dopamine have a little bit of maybe surface level intimacy because every human has a desire for intimacy to some degree even if you have avoidant attachment Mm -hmm. and then it's like okay that's enough and then let's not go any further than that i'm just going to unplug right disconnect and ghosting is one way of disconnecting but that's not the only way right Mm -hmm. they might you know try to keep it at arm's length distance um, and not try to commit further. Uh, other times they might just, you know, get absorbed in work and not really check in with their partner. You know, this, there's different, there's different gradients of that disconnection that someone that's more avoidant leaning, whether it's even men or women, um, can um, express or, or, you know, behaviors that they would do. If you pay attention to the content that I put out, the podcast, the newsletter, what I create on Instagram, the way that I engage with people in the comments, you may conclude that I love giving stuff away for free. And if you make that conclusion, you're correct. I love creating free content. And if I could, I would give you everything that you need for free in order for you to become exactly who you want to be. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to work that way. You becoming the person that you want to be is a result of a relationship over time. And that's how I'm able to really help people or at least accelerate the process is through relationship over time, through intimacy and getting close to one another. 
Now, to do that, I have three options. There's the online community that I run. I run small groups and I do one-on-one with people. So if you like the stuff that I share, if it resonates, if you can feel it in your soul and you still have questions and you want more, those are the options for us cultivating a deeper relationship over time so that you can take your practice uh, to the next level. So links for those options are available in the show notes. If you're interested, click the link that resonates with you most, express your interest. I would love to have you come deeper into my ecosphere. I, uh, I notice throughout my life, um, I, I can see patterns of both anxious attachment in myself but I would predominantly describe my patterns um, like my unfavorable patterns because I tr- like if I'm being truthful, there's a whole there's a whole mix of it. And even in a relationship where I'm being ang- uh, avoidant, I'm also being super secure. Uh, and I think it's important to, for people to understand it's like it's this uh, it's it's this sort of beautiful web of protective mechanisms to avoid closeness, but also seek closeness. Like it's a very complex thing. Um, but if, you know, I've, I've, I've been reflecting on some of my patterns of avoidance and, and taking a look at some of the times in relationships where I've almost, I've almost chosen a relationship with a person. And I can think of two examples of this in my life where I know I'm going to be the anxious version of myself. I know it going in and there's almost like an unconscious addiction to it. Like I yeah. need that to happen. And, and I'm recently having this recognition. Oh my God. Like, I think what was happening for me was that I was, I was thinking that if I really wanted someone, like if I really desired them and I, and I was like super sexually attracted to them and, and all that, that it was inevitable that I would be this anxious version of myself. And then I take a look at my patterns of avoidance with people and I was like, whoa, I actually may have been choosing people that I know I don't have that level of desire with in order for me to avoid what I think is this like inevitably anxious or this like inevitable anxious wound in me. It's almost like the avoidance was this protective mechanism against my own anxiety and being in a relationship or seeking closeness with a person that I actually wanted to be close to because I was seeing it's inevitable that I'm going to be hurt if that happens. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a very key thing is that we have both to some degrees and um, we have interesting ways of using those different strategies to just basically protect yourselves, right, from different levels of pain. <laughs> and so, you know, um, one person can maybe be like 70% more avoidant leaning most of the time. And then there's like a 30% where they're anxious to pain on the person or how much risk they're willing to take, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then other people where they're very, you know, very you know, the seesaw very strong between the two, right? Mm-hmm. Even within one relationship, but maybe from one relationship to another, mm-hmm. right? that's where you call it disorganized attachment. Um, but absolutely. I think that's that, that general dance is there for everybody to some degree mm-hmm. where there's sometimes they're, they're more avoidant and certain situations are different people. And maybe that feels safer to them, mm-hmm. like you're saying. And then other times um, there's people that are more attracted to, and it triggers more of their anxious, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, for me, I think it was almost kind of like, um, you know, it was a, a co- I think very similar, actually, as, as I reflect on it now, kind of similar to you, where I think most of the time I'm avoidant. And that's kind of like my primary, I would say. But there's definitely an anxiousness there because I remember that when I was with my and of course, it was the person that I was the most attracted to, right? So it's very mm-hmm. similar to you. My my now wife, but we were dating for like, I don't know, three or four months. And I was super attracted to her, mm-hmm. right? But I had learned to do avoidant tendencies to try to protect myself, mm-hmm. right? And then when she broke up with me, that's where the anxious pain came in, like mm-hmm. abandonment. I was crying. I never cried for any girl in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like crying. I was like um feeling that pain of her leaving me like i'm being left i was like that was a very unique experience and so i think it's you know very similar um and and in that respect but however when we came back the second time around i was like a year after we got together and you know my avoidance tends you know the avoidant in me came in pretty strong i was i commitment felt primarily like a drag responsibility Losing control, losing freedom, all those t- type of things, mm-hmm. right? Those are the core, roughly the core. And, and those came up even with the person that you were the most attracted to, even yes. with a person that you like desired, you crave. It, it, mm-hmm. You you were noticing these things in yourself of the the that you're going to lose your freedom. This this yeah. maybe this childhood terror that closeness inevitably yeah, means enmeshment. Uh-huh. Absolutely, I'll tell you something that was an, another nuance as I continue to explore this. The first time around. She was not as fully committed to me. Uh huh. That's the nuance right there. Second time around, she went full blast. She went fully into her anxious attachment and was just like up my butt, (laughs) all 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 up in my grill. Was visualizing having kids with me, you know, like a like two months in, and like just like there's nothing holding her back. Second Mm -hmm. time around, Mm -hmm. right? So there's no risk of my anxious attachment being. Uh, that level being activated. It was like, oh, uh-huh. this is sure fire, secure that I'm not going to be left. <laughs> it's yep. all in my, the balls of my core, essentially. And so that my full-blown avoidant attachment pain gets to play out in that yes. situation, right? Yes. Yeah. That's fascinating. I, I have almost an identical experience. The different yeah. difference in timing, but yeah, the, the Emily, who's uh, my partner, who I think is highly likely that I'll, we'll spend the rest of our lives together. Like that's, that's the plan. Um, the exact same thing, like this person that I'm immensely attracted to, uh, actually wasn't fully committed to me. And I had this experience where I was like, well, what the fuck is going on? Like I'm Flynn Skidmore. I'm like one of the most emotionally intelligent men on the planet. Like how are, how are, what, what is happening here that you're not desiring me? And this like need to be, and what I, what I, it made me realize is like this, this sort of image of myself of, of being super desirable, which is paired with, uh, like, like paired with this understanding that I do have this high capacity for emotional intelligence. I'm going to be one of the world's best fathers to ever exist. Like I know I have these things, but also seeing myself in this way keeps me safe in some way from the terror of what if I'm actually not desirable? What if the person who I want doesn't want me back? And I had to be 
with that fear in the early stages of our relationship. And it totally fucked up my self-concept. It, I had to, I had to rebuild everything without this sort of like, um, uh, inflated perception of who I am and what I can offer. It's actually like a really beautiful gift that she gave to me. And then like, and then there, we became like this, this like co-commitment ended up happening where the levels of commitment are matched equally. Yeah. Now, beautiful. And that's that's one thing you said that that's so key is that it will force you, <clears throat> it force you to break down all the constructs, the you know, the persona, the mask, the different layers that we that we layered on top to protect ourselves, really, from that, that core pain that what if I'm not good enough? What if I'm gonna be left? And so that's the beautiful thing about relationships. If we're conscious of it, right? If we're unconscious, we're just gonna play out those attachment patterns, mm-hmm. fight. Make up, fight, make up, and then divorce, break up, and then repeat that with somebody else. Mm-hmm. So if we're conscious of it, we can actually allow that almost like crumbling of ourself to happen. Yes. So that we can actually face the pain that we've been actually trying to run away from, that the attachment style is trying to protect us from, abandonment, low self-worth, you know, to let that absolutely annihilate us. You know, I mean, long, I'm going long story short here. You know, it's a hell of a journey. Easier to say than than, than to do it, but... When when doing so, you know, you get to like really, you know, grow so much from the ground up again and, and reclaiming so many loving parts of ourselves that were always there, but they just, you know, got suppressed, um, you know, ignored and, and just all these layers of fears and traumas and stuff just laid on top of that, right? But it gets the relationship just gets, gets to rip all that up, you know, the snow globe gets shaken up and all this shit comes up to the surface, all the pain gets kicked up to the surface and we if we do not risk resist the process of that happening let it come up go through it then what's underneath that is so much more beautiful like the real you right the 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 infinite love that's always there Mm -hmm. the wholeness and the the perfection that's always there gets to start to at least gradually shine through a lot louder than it was Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. so what i what i'm hearing you say is like most most codependent relationship dynamics. And the way that I see codependence is um, the way that I see codependence is like it's an unconscious agreement that two people are making to be continue to be the wounded version of themselves, almost like their shadows are in mm-hmm. love with each other. And mm-hmm. the relationship is this almost guarantee that both people remain as the shadow version of themselves. And by yeah. shadow, I don't necessarily mean evil, just I know you know that, but but yeah. the, the things about us that we keep in the dark because we don't trust that we're going to be able to meet those things about ourselves lovingly. So we repress them. So Mm -hmm. people are in their wounds. And like you pointed out, like unless a person chooses to transform those wounds that come up, they'll argue, they'll get divorced, they'll get in a new relationship and the exact same thing will happen. Whereas when you use a relationship as a vehicle or a, a container uh, to practice, what I love that you said is practice being your infinite self. Like, okay, well, all these self-concepts, all these ideas about myself, they're crumbling, they're breaking apart. They're not working to keep me safe anymore in this relationship. So how do I create a version of myself who is safe in this relationship? And what does it look like to use this relationship as a safe space for me to be immensely triggered? I think that's what I hear you saying. Yeah. And in essence, you know, because the, that, the, the part that shines through you know, let's say, you know, we just use simple terms that's easier for people to understand, I suppose, is um, 
the more healed version that shines through, the more secure person that shines through doesn't get triggered as much, less and less, right? As this, as this rises up, then the triggers get less because the layers of fear, it's like, nope, that's triggered that bad. That starts to quiet down a bit, mm. right? Because that's part of the, the snow globe kicking up, right? That's the stuff that does not want to be triggered. Mm. When you're just allowed to come up, then with time, it's a hell of a journey, you know, probably the most, probably the most important, deepest, biggest journey of a lifetime is that process of letting that stuff come up to the, the, the shadows, come up to the surface and you shine the light on, light on them. And, you know, while, while this is a concept now, the feeling of it happening is, can feel like hell, absolute hell. But we, again, if we don't resist that process, then it starts to have less, a hell of a lot contro- less control over us. And the trigger goes down substantially. Mm-hmm. They don't happen as much. They don't happen as intensely, right? Because we're allowing the pain to be met. Obviously, there's a whole journey to do that. But, you know, what, what most people do and what most advice out there is trying to manage the triggers, manage the pain. Cope, right? <clears throat> Cope, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Go from negative coping to healthy coping, yes. so to speak, right? <laughs> yeah. But you're still coping, right? It's like, yeah. how could we, like, see each other's pain and not try to touch each other's pain? <laughs> essentially, yes. what that comes down comes down to which is not bad necessarily you know you can still do you know better communication and all that just to kind of give each other a little bit of slack and wiggle room because this stuff is hard but knowing that i got some serious stuff i still have to face regardless whether you can you're the best partner for me or not you know or the best communicator or or there for me or not i still have to face what's inside And, and inevitably even if they're doing their best or I'm doing their best, I'm still going to trigger them because they have the pain inside. It's always going to find the next thing, the next whack-a-mole to mm-hmm. be triggered by. It's just natural. It's just the way energy works, right? Energy inside will find an outlet to, be, to just cycle until you stop resisting that cycle, right? Again, easier said than done, but mm-hmm. that's the magic of it, essentially. Does that help Do you, make more sense? Yeah. Do you... Um... Do you notice a pattern where do do a lot of people ask you questions or do people come and work with you where the one of the biggest problems that they're having is that one person in the relationship seems to have a greater desire and capacity for taking a look at that pain and transforming it than the other person does? And then Absolutely. The person, like all the time. Yeah, yeah, tell me about that. What do you, yeah, what do you yeah. see in that? What's happening yeah. in that dynamic? So as this, I'll, I'll break it down to to two components here or, um, you know, two ways of exploring this. Um, for one, yes, absolutely. There's usually one that takes the lead. Um, not always, but usually one that takes the lead. And very oftentimes it's the woman who's naturally more emotionally aware of her pain and stuff than the man. Um, again, not always, but that, that's definitely the majority. And that's also okay, right? And like energy, like we're all interconnected. And so what I say to that person is that's, it's okay. Just do the work. You're aware of it now. Go all the way and keep doing it and keep exploring yourself and keep, keep healing whatever pains that's coming up inside you that they're provoking, right? And in that process, as you transform and you stay really accountable and to what's going on inside you and working through it, as you change, you're going to show up as a different person to the to your partnership. 
Mm-hmm. You're not going to be doing the same stuff as you normally do. And therefore, you're not going to be triggering their stuff as much. And they're going to start to change as well, mm-hmm. how they interact with you, right? It's no mm-hmm. different than you walk around smiling at everybody. They smile mm-hmm. back at you, at least a much mm-hmm. higher chance. You go, without, you go out there, you, you, you frown at everybody. They're, just, they're going to give you the same frown, right? Energy yes. matches energy. So as you change your energy, right, just doing the healing work, all your traumas and stuff, they're going to react a hell of a lot more different to, to you than whatever mm-hmm. you've been already doing, right? Yes. <clears throat> So first of all, so, yeah, and and I think that what you're what you're saying is so so important. So I just want us, I, I want this to be highly emphasized for people. Uh, what I'm hearing you say, like the way that I think about this, how I sort of visualize it or see it, is that uh, two people are almost like musical notes mm-hmm. that that create a field of sound around them. Yeah. Uh, that sound could be described as energy. What I hear you saying is that when a person is focused on the other person tuning their note or changing the note that they're playing, mm-hmm. not much change happens. But when that same person decides to, instead of focusing externally on the other person that they're in a relationship with, when they instead decide to tune, make a choice about the note that they are playing and tune their note and to fall in love with the instrument that they're playing, that creates an environment of sound that almost inherently teaches the other person how to play better themselves, how to make a choice about what they're playing and how to play better themselves. So it's, it's almost like like not that much, no, no force has to happen. What a person gets to really do is tune their own note, make a choice about the energetic environment they're creating. And that in and of itself does more work and creates more progress than most other things. Yeah. A thousand percent. Right. And it's very spiritual in nature, right? All the power is inside you. It's not outside of you. Right. It's a, it's a little bit of a paradigm shift um, for a lot of people, not everybody, but <laughs> it is a paradigm shift of, of thinking. It's of an outside in approach, which is I, if my partner changes, then I'm going to feel better. And only then do I feel better. And I'll change for that, right? Back and forth, right? And, and you can do that with your entire environment, you know, money, business, friendships, so on and so forth, changing the outside environment to make myself better, right? So it's the same thing in relationships. Um, I'll add another, uh, you know, flavor to that. Which is why, why I hear a lot too, especially in like more like comments, social media comments is like, you know, my partner does, isn't willing to do this. You know, they don't want to do this work with me. And when I ask those, because I, you know, I know there's a truth behind it, is that, well, you're waiting for them to do the work, but are you really any different than them? You're just waiting mm-hmm. and waiting and waiting and they're not wanting to do the work, but are you doing the work and you're not really doing the work? So you're really mm-hmm. quite, a, quite a match, actually. <laughs> you're matching yeah, each it's other. it's a perfect match. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you're both in that state of victimization, right? Blaming each other for very for different reasons, but you're still focused on the other being the problem, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll add another flavor to that, which is that um, you know, I see two of things, two one or two things happen. You know, you you do the work. And it's it's really, you know, the work is lifelong growth and evolution. You know, mm-hmm. you don't really hop off that train. <laughs> so <laughs> you go that path, right? Um and they either get challenged or inspired to like, oh, shit, I'm going to lose them. I better start working on myself. Or you get inspired like, wow, this person's changing. I love that. And, you know, what, what are they doing? I want to try that, right? If that doesn't happen, then growing apart also can will naturally happen. Your, your frequency is changing. 
And they'll either challenge you to try to pull you down. Like, I don't like the, what you're doing or what you're thinking and how you're behaving. I want to get back to the old us. I've seen, I've heard that too of clients, mm. right? Mm -hmm. But there is no going back. Once you see the matrix, you don't, you can't unsee it. Like mm -hmm. I can't go into a state of more fear and go and more, uh, you know, uh, insecurity and do that dance. It's like, it's impossible. Right. And so either if that does happen, then there's just going to be a growing apart. The rift mm -hmm. gets bigger and bigger, not from a place of resentment. That's very different. Some people think they're growing up, growing apart from their partner, but really what they're saying is I'm tired of them triggering me and I have resentment towards them. And I want to find somebody else. I'm growing apart, right? Mm -hmm. Very different. Doing the work, you're going to notice that, no, I'm, I'm just not attracted to this person, not from resentment, but just we don't, we're just completely on different wavelengths. Mm -hmm. You cannot see the same world. At all. You're like the, the two different worlds you're seeing. It's impossible to like, you know, make that work, you know, unless someone shifts, right? To get back on working towards that, the wavelength that you are, you know, um, tuning up to essentially. So, yeah. You know, I, as I, as I hear you say that you're describing this so beautifully and I'm, I'm reflecting on all of the conversations that I've had with people all the times people have uh, expressed that how terrified they are of growing apart. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't have this perfectly synthesized yet. I'm, I'm curious to, I, I actually would love your help with, with getting this clearer. But I think one of the things that's happening there with what, what I hear you describing is that once you choose the path of infinite evolution, mm -hmm. your task, whether you're with this person, whether you're single forever, whether you're with another person is the exact same thing, which is to evolve into exactly who you want to become or remember who you are and mm -hmm. and be the infinite self you know like however we want to describe it either whether you're whether or not you're with this person your task is the exact same thing and i think that one when, when people uh, consider stepping into that journey where they're where they're no longer waiting for this other person to change in order for them to have permission to become who they want to become they just give themselves permission mm -hmm. one of the things that comes up is the fear of growing apart yep. and i think what's happening there is that person is projecting their current self uh, mm -hmm. who's afraid of certain things into the future. But the truth is, is that the future self who's fully committed to the path of evolution, isn't that afraid of growing apart, but if someone right. thinks they're going to be afraid, but if they actually become that person, then they won't be afraid to grow apart. It'll actually be very easy and loving to let this relationship go. Exactly. Yeah. Beautifully, beautifully articulated. And, um, you know, I think at the root of that fear is just basically some flavor of like an abandonment tra trauma. I'm going to lose them. I'm going to be alone in this. And there's a pain and fear and pain of that, right? Essentially, which is them seeing themselves now, like you're saying, but exactly like where, where you are going to is actually that pain isn't going to be there. That's holding you back, right? Right now, of course, because it's in you, right? That fear of that abandonment, essentially. But as you heal that, then you're not going to worry about that. So exactly. Yeah. Well put. And and it's interesting because even if the person is projecting into the future that they may be the one who is outgrowing the partner and therefore they're the one who's likely deciding to end the relationship, there's almost like this fear, this abandonment wound that gets triggered even in the consideration of you being the one who's choosing to end the relationship. Yeah, you know exactly. what I'm saying? And, and one, of the, one of the things that I've noticed, one of the fears that comes up for people 
I'm curious about your take on this, um, is one of the ways that an abandonment wound might express itself is, uh, oh, well, I believe that this other person has so much potential and I'm waiting for them to fulfill their potential. But what happens if I do choose to, if I do commit to the path and fully becoming myself and then they end up fulfilling their potential and then someone else gets to benefit from the best version of them and I don't get that. Have you ever seen that before? I think I've I've seen it in my own relationship. Yeah, I think I've seen flavors of that in others, but you know, the most intimate where that concern has popped up is my in my relationship with, with my wife. And I think at both times switching between the two of us, where she would have fear because we would do like you know we we obviously would deep, deep in the work week after week. It's just you know again it's a lifelong journey, but we are also a huge fan of plant medicine, right? And the big shifts happen in plant medicine. We've done lots of ayahuasca and iboga and other things. And they really shine light, especially iboga, shine light on codependency, basically fear, Mm. right? Mm. The fear that keeps running our life very strongly. And so there are plenty of times where, you know, we're about to do something and she's like scared. She's like, oh, I'm panicking. I feel like he's going to outgrow me or not want me or love me anymore, right? That same exact thing. And... um. And then, you know, we got support. It's like, no, that doesn't, that, you know, you both are in this together. You're going to grow together. So it helped reassure <laughs> her fears from, you know, the facilitators. Like, you're both doing this together. You're going to grow together. It's just the fear that's right now. And that's okay. It's okay that that fear is coming up. That's what the medicine does. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I've had that fear myself where there's times where like, and when it, the, the thing with growth as a couple, you're not going to grow. It's not going to look the same or be at the same pace, right? Everything's organic. So it's going to kind of like, you know, do this kind of thing. And so there were times where she was growing very fast and I'm just like amazed at her. And then, then it struck that insecure, like, whoa, shit, she's just mm. getting powerful and, and and she's growing and doing amazing, you know, uh, deep work with herself. <laughs> she couldn't outgrow me, mm-hmm. you know? And so that happened with me as well. So I think that's, you know, I've experienced it and obviously you've seen it. Uh, maybe you've experienced it, experienced it yourself. And I think just the fact that you're bringing that up, I'm sure it's a very common as well for those are in the journey together growing and wondering if one's going to eventually outgrow the other person right which is still at the end of the day it's still the same thing as like that fear of abandonment yes being prevalent still there right this this so here the way that i'm seeing this i love this so what i'm what i'm hearing you say is that um in an interdependent relationship where there's a secure attachment where both people have committed to the path committed to their own personal evolution what i'm what i'm hearing is that there's almost this beautiful dance of competition and cooperation mm-hmm. and i do think that competition and co- it's very easy i think to reject the idea of competition i think mm-hmm. generally the feminine like thinks it doesn't like competition and i can mm-hmm. understand why we have rejected the idea of competition uh, but I think it's time to evolve the idea of competition because what I hear you saying is the most beautiful dance of competition and cooperation. It's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's like we, we both want to be able to take up space. Like I'm this cell and I want to breathe and be able to inhale even deeper and take up more space. Mm-hmm. Um, but that means that sometimes that in order for me to take up more space, you have to make a little bit more space, but that you making more, a little bit more space actually gives you you 
the material that you need to transform fears in order for you to then breathe in and take up even more space. And then I make room for you to do that. And this like lifelong dance of that can be this very beautiful thing. And there is ego involved in that. There is like, oh my God, is is she going to become so valuable and so desirable and so attractive that she can get a man who's 10 times more valuable than I am and better looking, more athletic, richer, whatever. And then you have to find the infinite love and the experience of those fears in order to transform. Exactly. Right. It just, it creates that, that beautiful moment where it's like, you know, instead of playing into the egoic, you know, trap of it is to like come back into the, the feeling. Right, the fear. Like, let's go into that fear. Let's go into it. Let's let it completely envelop us, not resisting us. And in that process, it then transform you. Yeah, in this, in the same way that you so beautifully and eloquently, um, you know, the the cells and the expansion and contraction. Right, the the, the dance between the two. Um, and I also think that there's also a, a mechanism, uh, you know, in energy that where things, um, things like spiral. And I want. It's kind of like. Um, Two particles spiraling uh, at counter positions to each other, right? And and, and they, they turn and turn and turn. And you kind of switch places, right? Kind of mm-hmm. do this kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. as you go upward. You get what I'm saying? So um, it's, it's, it's a beautiful part of the process. Uncomfortable at times, but it's like at times we switch places as we kind of do our revolution, uh, you know, revolution in that upward really spiritual journey is that one time I experienced this thing, she experienced the counter to that. And the other time I experienced this thing, or, I, or she experiences a certain thing, I, I experienced the counter to that, right? And it just goes on and on and on, right? This opposing, not necessarily opposing, but just kind of like reflective, um, these perspectives, this polarity that's always there. And it's always there, not just on the beautiful expressions of life, but like, yeah, of course, the traumas, right? you're going to switch places. Right. One time coming back to the attachment, like one time she experienced more of her avoidance, like I experienced more of my anxious. And then times there's more of my avoidance, she experienced more of her anxious. Right. So we just kind of keep doing that until we've really kind of exhausted all the different faucets of experiencing those fears of that until we've really like let the process unfold and happen. And like, okay, we neutralize that onto the next thing. Right. And then on and on the way it goes. Yeah. Do you, when, one of the things that, I'm thinking about as I hear you speak about this sort of push pull dancing poles switching magnets uh mm-hmm. spiraling upwards is mm-hmm. the generation of sexual energy and I notice like there's there's almost some there's this experience that I notice that if I if I see Emily uh if she, if her pace of growth might be a little bit faster than mine in a particular moment, and then those fears come up of, oh my, like, am I, am I fundamentally abandonable? Like, like, mm-hmm. is it, you know, it, 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 it like almost inc- it increases this fire in me to, you know, th- there's certainly one version of it where it's like, well, I'm going to make more money and be more successful. But the way that I actually see it is like the fire in me, I use it for spiritual transformation, not necessarily yes. like material resource accumulation. Beautiful. And my the bet that I'm making is that if I continue to use the drive and the fire for 
spiritual transformation that I'll be able to match her and keep up with her energy. And that will have her, and that gives me the highest chance of not being abandoned by her. You know what I mean? But it also like increases attraction and sexual energy to have that dance there. And I'm wondering if, if you, in terms of your understanding of like the energetics of sexuality and creation and polarity, if, if there's something in that. Yeah, I think, you know, I wouldn't by any means call myself a master of sexuality. Um, but my, what I do know about attraction is it requires opposite energies, that polarity to create you know, it requires opposite energy to create energy, essentially charge, right? <clears throat> and so I think too, we got to be careful at the same time of like, you know, where that comes from, because there's, um, there can be a little bit of a, a, of a tricky thing with that, where yes, you know, the avoidant and anxious, because those, those attached, those behaviors, those coping mechanisms come from a place of trauma. and and so, yeah, again, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I feel like oftentimes that sexual energy is sort of like a trauma sort of bonding thing, right? Yes. It feels exciting. High is highs and low lows. Yes. Right? And that, and that high, high and low lows come from that, the trauma polarity, me being anxious or avoidant and then vice versa, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I would say that, you know, Again, like I said, not master of sexuality. You know, it's, it's an area of study, right? I'm exploring it, but I do believe that similar to the path of actualization, growth, healing, all of it, one and the same, is that the more you have worked through a lot of those, that it's you're not doing that that intense, passionate, exciting sort of sexual energy between each other. Right. And the same goes for every aspect of the relationship. Right. Instead of these high, these, the seesaw back and forth that we call passion and excitement mm -hmm. and zest and whatever you want to call that, you know, it starts to get a lot more of the evens out a lot more. Now, for most people, that's going to sound boring. Mm -hmm. Right. Like a passion, like a chemistry, that's going to be boring. Right. And it is boring to someone that is in that trauma, you know, the high, high, high lows thing. And it was for me, absolutely. Yeah. Because that, that's exactly what I want. I wanted more of that. I want the most exciting woman. I want to be sexy and just like so much juiciness to it, right? Yes. I want exciting. And the reason why I wanted that is because that's one of the I, – I, it was hard for me to feel alive otherwise. Mm. I suppressed myself massively. And so it requires intensity. To feel, mm, to again. stimulate, you need stimulate high that. levels of intensity to stimulate that stimulate in you. Because there's, right? there's, yeah, there's maybe one good, way of describing. Yes, yes, okay. I really appreciate your honesty about this. This like resonates tremendously, and I'm so glad that you shared the truth that your sense of the pattern and dynamic that I'm describing is likely some sort of attachment wound pattern. Cause that's my sense too. That's why I was asking. I was like, I, there's something about this that I don't, that I think there's, there's an opportunity to make this a little, like to make this a little more beautiful here. Yeah. And what I hear you describing is like the, it, yes, there's the excitement, the intensity, high levels of stimulation. Um, 
I mean, one way of thinking about that is like a vibrator set on the highest setting possible, like, like a power tool in order to feel something. But then the question is like, can we attune ourselves to physiologically, spiritually, energetically, biologically, psychologically to be stimulated by, um, by a less intense stimulation? Can, can we tap There's no polarity there, of course. But it's not this extreme sort of seesaw back and forth, which most people mistaken as like, that's what I want because that's passion and excitement and that's how I'm going to feel good, right? Um, but it's a trick of the ego to chase that because it comes from a place of really, I mean, you know, I'm trying to find the way, right way to kind of like weave it in there, but it does come from trauma, right? Because um, I, I didn't know that myself, honestly, it was, it was kind of a rude awakening. Um, early in my journey... I thought that's the that's the that's the spice of life, right? Just chasing excitement in general. It wasn't even just around sex and women, but you know, I would I would I would travel and and just want to do like really the the the, the craziest, wild, and inter- just interesting things, like you know, flying a a, a Russian MiG jet, you know, three you know three point five G forces and stuff. I did that, you know, just doing shit like that to like kind of feel alive. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I didn't realize that that came from trauma because mm-hmm. I had suppressed myself throughout my entire childhood to survive, mm-hmm. that the only way I can feel alive and good again is to, you know, increase the amplitude and the um, the, the more extremeness of, of life, mm-hmm. right? And some people take it even really far. I mean, you see those people, right? The people that, the adrenaline junkies, right? That's why they're doing it. And it makes them feel alive. Uh, it's not all black and white like that, but there's a big component is there because of that. And so um, I'll, I'll kind of like wrap that up. It's like, you know, as you heal and you learn to feel good inside naturally, right? It's just that, that natural low hum of self-love and self-acceptance and compassion and just inner peace that, you know, you don't, you don't need to chase um, so much polarity as much. You're just more at peace with yourself. And so there's less things out there that pulls you into that direction, essentially. Uh, right? uh, interesting, right? When you, when you need when you need massive intensity in order to feel something, in order to feel alive, you will be pulled into something that is intense or dramatic or chaotic externally yeah. in order. Because what I, you know, the beautiful thing about that is that I hear in that, and and to me, that's the same exact thing that's happening. Let's say with drug addiction or any addiction, there's like there's this thing in us that craves aliveness. Mm -hmm. And there are so many traumas and so many, so many things that we accumulate, uh, throughout our lives that let us know psychologically primarily that it's, and then it, and then it calcifies in our bodies. Let us know that it's not safe to be the most alive and the most expressive, that we need to repress that life in order to be empathic with your mom and then bond with her and be who she needs and enmesh. And you have to repress your sense of life Mm-hmm. Uh, but we ha- but, but, but there's this thing in us that is driven to be alive, to mm-hmm. expand, to breathe, and it will figure out how to be there. And if it needs intense, chaotic, toxic <laughs> relationship dynamics in order to yeah. be there, it will be there. And yeah. I, and I know that it creates a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, addiction, relationship, addiction, sex, drugs, whatever. But I also see it as this like innately beautiful thing in us. And if we can learn to dissolve the, the heavy weight on top of that life, 
we won't need the intensity so much anymore because every single, like speaking with you and drinking water is intense and fills (laughs) me with life, you know? Absolutely. Exactly. Right. And that's, and a lot of the healing is slowing everything down to be able to appreciate that. Right. Slowing everything down to be able to appreciate just sharing a glass of water. I prefer juice, but we can do water too. You know? I always say juice too. <laughs> I always say juice too. I yeah. say uh, fresh, fresh squeezed orange juice. It has and to be like, fresh squeezed. It has yep. to be, right? Yep. Yep. Savoring that and like uh, opening your body up to let that orange juice like rush through the rivers of your veins and touch every cell in your body. Like mm-hmm. that, that's the thing that you're talking about, that level of appreciation. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, you've, I've, I'm sure you've, done work with plant medicines before and like it just gets you so present with every cell in your body that when you like eat that strawberry or that fruit you taste it a hundred times more than you would normally do when you're just regular you know regular day-to-day sober whatever right because it just there's something about increasing the presence in the moment which is something that I'm on a, you know, I'm on that journey to improve that by myself. I'm not saying like I'm a perfectly present person. I'm still working on that, but like I've had enough experiences going in and out of it where I was like, wow, when you just get really fucking present, there's so much to be pulled out of that, but we just miss it completely when we're in that sort of trauma loop of like, you know, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Or what's the, what happened before, right? The past and the present. I mean, the past, the past and the future. Uh, we're never really quite here we're just kind of like wafting around the present moment and so when we get into that is like you just there's so much infinite like even right here there's so much fucking power and just the space and just like everything around you know again you know not a master of it but having experience i know that like it's just it's about slowing down so you can really appreciate what's there and what's inside here and then you're less than that sort of trauma you know dance of like chasing it out there or having to make something happen out there to like stir it up inside right what i'm what i'm hearing you describe is is an experience of of not it's not just it's i can i can just tell in the way that your face lights up and and how you sound the way you speak about it it's not just an idea like i know that you've felt this before that there is infinite power and infinite treasure to feel and appreciate in every single moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious for you about what you've as you've as you've gained that experience where you know that to be true. And I and I and I I imagine you see it as a challenge. You hold yourself responsible for practicing that as often as possible. Mm-hmm. What has that done for your sense of confidence to know that there's infinite power and, imp- and infinite treasure to appreciate in every single moment? Yeah, you know, I say this from a perspective of, uh, you know, uh, at least this human archetype that is not, I want to call it perfect or anything, or, you know, it's, I'm still right there in it with everybody else growing and figuring life out, right? So I want to caveat that I'm not a master of any of this. Um, I think those are very few and far between, and we've, you've heard echoes of them throughout history. But what that has opened up more of, I'll say more of is a much higher sense of true acceptance of myself. Not perfect, but like a lot more of that, of like more acceptance of myself, more ease with myself, less having to prove myself, 
less having to do something to fill something up inside, right? Less chasing things. Again, I'm like less. <laughs> I mean, I don't chase things. I have those moments of being very human, but it's, it's become subs- very noticeably less. Where I can see it and notice notice those moments, and it's beautiful. And it's just a constant reminder, like, yep, just keep going, just keep going mm-hmm. down the path. More of the, more mm-hmm. of that to come. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, inner love, inner acceptance. Um, you know, those kind of really beautiful things, and and more of an inner peace. You know, just just peace. It's all okay. It's all okay. Yeah. One of an an idea that I love thinking about is like there. It, it probably is true that ignorance is bliss, but then there's also a version of bliss that is highly aware. And I think that version of bliss is one that has truly learned to be in love with any information that it comes across. Information about you that you might have formerly been ashamed of or wanted to hide away from the world. Like, of course, you ne- if you think that something about you inevitably means that you will be rejected or it'll reduce your status, of course, you're incentivized to hide that from yourself in the world. Yeah. But when you start to learn, like you said before, bringing a light to your shadow, when you start to learn how to be in a state of love when you see these things about yourself that you used to think you couldn't be accepted or, or belong if you have them. Mm-hmm. And you actually learn, I think I heard you say this in here, but I, I don't want to project, but you learn how to actually use those things as material to strengthen bonds with other people. There's like, like the whole world just opens up. There's nothing to hide from anymore. Everything about yourself that you're embarrassed about, every mistake that you could make, like you know how to filter it through your heart and alchemize it to grow more love, to connect deeper with other people. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, it's like the antidote to a lot of the stuff that we try to hide because we think hiding it is going to protect us, right? Always comes back to that. Or if they were to see it, then I'll be judged. I would, they would, I would feel more not enough and then abandoned, rejected, all those, you know, core things. But the antidote to that is actually being vulnerable, right? Sharing those things, you know, whatever environment that, you know, you can at least practice that is, you know, give, give you an example. You know, I, there was like this one event, there's like a hundred people there at least. And I, I got up and told everyone, you know, how, what, what life was like for me in high school. I would literally hide in the bathroom, eat my lunch in the bathroom, because that's how scared of being seen and being judged I was. Mm. What shame I held, I held about myself. I had to hide myself sitting on a toilet, eating a cup of ramen noodles. And so, you know, um, and it's beautiful. Right. Yeah. I would once say like, oh yeah, I, I am inherent. At one point in life, I would, I would believe that I was inherently, you know, lesser than anyone. And I need to just hide away or create a facade that they, they can't quite see through either way. Mm-hmm. And so in the journey of facing that combination of just allowing myself to feel the shame and the pain, and then also practicing being vulnerable, sharing it out there, like that's the antidote to that and it literally yes. dissolves in the same way that like you shine a light into a cave like there's no more boogeyman in there if you just shine the light on it like oh it's just it's just a dark cave that's all mm-hmm. whatever it was it's like a even, kill if, me, but yeah. even if there is a boogeyman in there there is if yeah. you it there's if you 
approach the boogeyman with a sincere desire to understand the boogeyman. Like mm-hmm. there's probably, probably is an opportunity for a great conversation in the cave, even <laughs> if the boogeyman is there. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I experienced that a lot. Um, you know, especially under um, plant medicines where it makes it very loud, those types of experiences. Mm-hmm. And I got, and it's just kind of like, it's like, for me, it had been like letting that boogeyman kill me because I thought it was going to kill me, mm-hmm. right? Metaphorically speaking, and like surrender, like just take me out. Mm-hmm. I'm done. I'm tired mm-hmm. of fighting you. You just, you win. Come at me, right? Come, come at me, bro. And, um, and as you, as soon as you drop the resistance, it's all it is resistance to the more pain and more whatever, that boogeyman changes immediately, mm-hmm. just starts mm-hmm. to just morph into something else. And I see that also in life too. It's the same thing that's happening. Boom, anxious avoidant attachment, bring it right back there. As soon as you stop resisting how they are and resisting your pain is what, you, what you're doing. You're, resist, you're, resisting, you're resisting your own pain. That's why you're resisting them. As soon as you stop doing that, it's just, it comes up. Poof, and then like you just instantly start to see things differently. It's very, it can, it can happen like that. It can have moments of that too. It's like you facing the boogeyman and you're stopping trying to like control it, fight it. Right. And then that boogeyman changes and, and, and indeed the conversation changes. The, the relationship completely changes where maybe that, that boogeyman just turns into your friend. Right. Yes. Or, uh, or a cartoon or something. So hundred <laughs> percent. I had a, I had a funny experience earlier this week, about a week ago, I played too many sports on Saturday and I didn't eat enough. And then at about 7 PM, I, I started, I like got nauseated. I threw up a few times I I got into bed. I fell asleep. I had to get up at about 11 p.m., threw up again, and then probably at about 1 a.m., 2 a.m., something like that, I, I felt like I needed to throw up again. And I was I was having this experience. It was almost like this like shamanic intervention where I'm mm-hmm. I'm sweating. I'm in a half dream state. And I'll often I actually often have those experiences a few times cool. a week where I'm I'm half awake, half asleep, like uncomfortable, but I'm learning something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a cool one last night, but so this was about a week ago and, and I'm, and I'm learning about acceptance and non-resistance in this experience. And I'm, and I'm able to see, okay, what's happening right now is that I'm terrified of the idea of having to get up and throw up again. It's creating all this fear, all this tension in my body. And it's also making me more sick. Well, okay. So what's the thing I'm afraid of? I'm afraid of having to throw up again. What if I just accept that that's a possibility? What if I just say, okay, yeah, that might happen. What will happen? And, and it was really this tangible experience of what it means to actually stop resisting and to accept something. It's what is the thing I'm actually afraid of here? And what is it like for me to just be like, yeah, that that actually could happen. There's a high likelihood that you're going to get up and throw up again. And then what happened was that my body relaxed and I fell asleep and I didn't get up and I I didn't throw yeah. up again. It, it yeah. was really a cool experience to, to, to recognize the consequence that I'm afraid of and then just to accept that there is a likelihood that that consequence happens. And the acceptance of that is the thing that then reduces the likelihood of the consequence happening. Yes. That beautiful work, brother. That's amazing. And <laughs> that's, that's, that's the work right there. Exactly. Right. Day in and day out. <laughs> and um, the, and um, that's a paradox, 
right? The universe works in paradoxes. The paradox is like the ego that works from a place of logic and, and trying to eliminate threats is convinced that to f- fight that thing is actually how you survive and, and keep, right? Yes. And it's so logical. It's just the smartest, most like clear thing like, yep, I got to do that to like survive and protect myself and so on and prevent more pain and whatever. But that's the paradox is that when you actually allow that thing, the worst thing to happen, that oftentimes it just completely doesn't happen. Very, I, mean, I would say most of the time, or, or even if it doesn't happen, it happens in a way where, oh, that wasn't bad at all, <laughs> right? Yeah. So either way, it's actually, yeah, going opposite of the ego and and just surrendering and says, you know what, just if it happens, this could happen and absolutely, okay. Just let it happen. And, that's it. and then yeah. and then boom. And then boom, it just goes away. Does it does a lot of shit that just surprises us? Like, oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. Right there. I think that that's that thing that we were sort of touching on earlier with the projection into the future. Like if if right now I'm terrified of the idea of losing a relationship, well, I'm I'm probably not taking into account how resourced and who I will be at the time when I'm a person who decides that this isn't the right relationship I'm ready to let yes, go of it. Exactly. We like we don't take into account how powerful and how strong and how well resourced we will be in the future. How yeah. how capable we are of dancing and elasticity and dynamism. We kind of mm-hmm. predict that it's going to be one way and don't trust ourselves to be as powerful as we actually are. Absolutely. We think we're a lot more, we think we're a lot weaker and more helpless than we actually are fundamentally, which again, you want to bring that back to childhood because we experienced that as a child being helpless and no one to support us during those moments. And so we're replaying that again as an adult that, oh, I'm going to be helpless again. I just don't, how am I going to make it through that? That's just going to be at the end. No one's going to be there for me. Right. We're playing that script again. Um, Obviously the opposite is true, but that's the work of not fighting that that pain, right? Practicing non-resistance and, you know, and, and in so doing, you like literally, every time you practice a, a moment of non-resistance, and it's a muscle, right? I mean, sure, you get to that point, you've done a lot of personal work to get to the point where you can catch those moments, right? And it takes, it's a journey to get there. But when you get to that, where you can like have that happen more often in your life, then you level up every single time that happens. Like every time it's just like a boom, a like you like you become lighter, right? And that becomes another, you know, rep in building that muscle. And then you carry that to the next thing and the next thing. And then you just continue to progress like that. But like every single moment like that, you get past it, like you just get lighter, you level up. And you and oftentimes it unlocks even more gifts. I give you a very, very tangible um experience of mine. I had struggled with um my relationship with money and success for my entire life, right? Again, modeled from my childhood. That's what I, that was the model of the world. That money means you're successful. That means you're special, and so on. That was the that was just what was indoctrinated into me. And I had seen that, you know, and so it was so uh, rooted into me. And so I had success and crashed and success and crash and had plenty of that stuff. Um. And I had done, I've been on the spiritual journey too, actually, uh, for, you know, maybe a couple of years before that, before this incident that I'm going to share with you. And I just, I knew it logically that money, money is not important. It's, it's just, yeah, it's energy and it's not, has nothing to do with my self-worth. I'm not going to be a better, more fulfilled person by making more money. Logically. This is where real work is like in, inside my body. 
was subconsciously in the body, in the nervous system. It was just ingrained that, nope, you got to keep chasing that, right? Mm-hmm. You keep got to keep running that, spinning that hamster wheel. And so either you do it consciously or the universe will force it onto you. And mm-hmm. so sometimes it's so deeply rooted that you can't just, you can't, you can't do it. It's just so deeply rooted. So the next best thing, harder, the harder route, but also still important is the universe then forces it onto you, those lessons. And so guess what? Through a bunch of mistakes and, and failures and whatever crap I did, I basically wiped myself out, right? I literally had multiple millions liquid, wiped it all out, broke, and now $20,000 in debt, right? And I felt all the pain that I was not able to access through mm-hmm. my spiritual work and all that. I felt all the low self-worth, shame, just being a complete idiot, full, worthless. I should know better than I did. Therefore, there's something just so wrong with me. I even remember I was in that state. I was like, oh, Danica, you know, my wife, you just just leave me. You don't have to stay with me anymore. It was like, she's like, she was like you're, you're an idiot. I would never do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I was being in that state, right? And so I just like, you know, there's no more protection mechanism. There's no way out, right? I had to be stuck feeling all of it. And so I had to go. I was forced to go through that. And it was the most magnificent gift, probably the best gift of my life. Because what happened after that, you know, I had to get a job. It was very humbling. I was self-employed for like probably seven, eight years, just the boss of my own life, on my own schedule. Now, back to in a job, working for somebody else um, and, and having to do that, just surrender and just be completely humbled and just dropping the ego and just like going, going through like, oh, it's just what I got to do now. Mm. This is how it is right now, at least for now. And then as I went through that, did more processing and, and, and working on myself. And at some point, it got to a point like, well, what if, if I didn't do what I've always done? Right? All that is extinguished. I don't want to do that anymore. Even if I could make a lot of money, I don't want to do it that way anymore from that place. I just, what would be the, the opposite of that or just something different? Like, well, and so this came to me then. I said, well, why don't I just be fucking of service, right? Mm-hmm. I've, I've done a ton of work. I spent like almost a quarter million dollars on, personal development. I did like Tony Robbins. I did plenty of therapy, of course, coaching, seminars, retreats. I like just hiring the best. Like there's obviously a lot of value in that. I've experienced a lot. I've done a lot. What if I just, you know, start doing something with that? Maybe I just start sharing messages on social media. Maybe it turns into something and then I can like, you know, offer coaching or whatever. Maybe there's something I could like build something off of that. And so I did that. And then, you know, I just, with no expectation, like, oh, this would probably take a very long time, you know, maybe a year before I, I get any traction to maybe have clients or whatever the hell service I'm going to provide. I didn't even know what I was going to provide. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't have a link that. on my bio, nothing. I was just like putting out videos. And then it started to pick up. And within like, you know, the first, the, by month sec, the second month, I had videos go viral. I was like, oh, this is interesting. You know, maybe I should probably put a link and, you know, just have people sign up for some wait list to something <laughs> that I can offer later. Love that. And then so that happened. And then more videos went viral. And like, you know, my TikTok started blowing up first. And then eventually the the Instagram, in fact, it was just so weird too. Cause like there was a funny thing that happened with Instagram where I was still working my job. That's how I was gonna pay the bills and not just completely go under. But that job was not doing well. It was performance-based and I needed to produce the numbers and, and figure out a way. And I, I just, everything, I had so much experience and success in business, but for some reason, I couldn't like bring the results to the job. Like everything I was doing was 
failing. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm just going to lose this. Like literally we're having performance reviews. I'm like, ah, oh, we want to give you more chance, but like, uh, you know, in two weeks or three weeks, like it doesn't turn around. Like we're, we're trying our best to help keep you on, but it's just not working. And I'm trying my best to, to make it work. And like, we're just trying to make it work, but it's not right. I'm like, I'm, I was like, oh shit, this is not working. But at the same time, my stuff was going viral. Mm-hmm. The wait list was growing. I was like, okay, I have to prepare, prepare, prepare for the inevitable. Let me just, just throw that out. I'm going to throw out, I'm going to provide coaching. You know, this is, you know, you can just sign up, do it. And then we, and we're off to the races. So I started to get clients and talking to clients. Um, I didn't even really know how to coach. I just had my experience hiring people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to do kind of what they do and just use my own intuition, yeah. you know, and obviously a lower price just to see what happens and, and doing that. And then the, the week that my job was coming to an end was the same week I got like a hundred thousand followers on Instagram within that same week, right? It's blowing off like it was just it was out of my hand. It was just completely um, in spirit's hand. Just say, nope, you're gonna that's gonna end for you, and this is clearly where you're gonna do next, right? So like, boom, okay, I do that and um, got more clients, and and the job ends, and now I'm like a full time coach essentially helping people. And, and that evolves to my coaching is rapidly. I just, I'm very methodical, analytical, like just like reiteration, like, okay, I, I did these three things. This thing worked, this thing did not. And I just repeat that over and over. And so my coaching is rapidly improving. Everything is rapidly growing. And so, you know, long story short, I'm here now with like probably one point, over 1.5 million followers across the different social platforms, um, I guess pretty quickly. And so, now I'm doing something that's fully of service. I love this. I just love helping people transform and grow and just meet those, the dark cave inside. It's really what it is. Meet that dark cave. Let's go into it. Let's feel the stuff you don't want to feel and you're going to transform, right? It's impossible mm-hmm. not to. And so, you know, that all happened because of that, that absolute collapse and catastrophe of like getting wiped out, losing all my money, being completely depressed and deep in my pain. But I didn't resist it. I just like, you know what? This is what's happening. I, I even knew like this is spirit is doing this. I'm here to learn something and move on to something else. I don't know what that is, but just I'm going to surrender and just drop what I've done and go with what, what's, what's happening. And so it unveiled really a magical, beautiful, more beautiful than anything I could have ever imagined to do something so of service and impactful that I would never have been able to do that had I was still entrenched with the yeah. old me. That was attached to money and having to do what I did to, to do money. I just wouldn't able to have the patience or the surrender or the trust to go in this direction. So it was forced onto me. And so I say that because, you know, for anybody that's going through the, the shit, we're talking about the resistance, right? I don't want that shit to happen. The thing that worst case, I don't want to be abandoned. I don't want my, to lose my money. I don't want whatever. In accepting the worst case scenario sometimes, pays you massive dividends on the other side of it. You just can't see it. You're not allowed to see it. That's the nature of spirit. That's what makes it challenging and allows us to grow. We can't see what's going to happen next that can benefit us, but that's where learning to trust and surrender. And you know, it's a practice to learn that. But it is incredible. Every time you just don't resist the core root pain, as much as it seems like, oh, this is grueling. Why do I have to do this? I guess I have to do this. Uh, the payoff is fucking huge. Like it will change your life, right? Every moment you do that, it just gonna just moves you in an upward trajectory. It's meant to move you up in an upward trajectory. The more you don't resist the thing that you're scared shitless to face, feel, have happen, and so on. 
to you, your, your whole, like one of, one of your main programs that you're operating with is this thing of money, success. That probably means status, belonging, love, Mm -hmm. all those resources, all those things. You had built a version of your life where you were pretty successful, but you're still operating with this, um, this like faulty kind of this faulty program that's built on fear. And then, then you are forced to go into your personal hell where you lose all the success, you're in debt and you have no choice, but you can either die and you can make it worse, or, or let's say you could either die or you could resist it and make it worse, or you could surrender release the resistance and say, this is what it is. Now, here's how I'm going to, here's, here's, here's what I have available to me currently to create this into something else. And so then in the process of being in your own personal hell, you then reprogrammed yourself to know that even in the worst possible thing from the perspective of the program of money, success, and all that, you still have access to love. You still have access to the fresh squeezed orange juice, even in your version, or even in your personal hell. Yes. And then you, in that place, you like started working. You, 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 you get, you, it sounds like you got that. You probably understood intellectually that being of service is like the, the best thing to do. Yeah. But you, there was like this energetic transformation where you actually could be of service, not just like chasing the idea of being exactly. of service. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly open yeah. to that you started creating content it popped the fuck off and now you're in this version of success that is a different version of success than before because you're no longer primarily operating with the program that's fear that's fearful of not being successful exactly yeah that's fucking amazing yeah yeah and and, and i want to say that there's not it's not a perfect thing where there's no fears involved of course there's going to be fears some fears that pop up like, oh, is this going to fail or are they going to want this and so on? And I had to work through that as it came up, right? Um, but fundamentally, at its root level, it's just coming at a place of like service, betterment of humanity, and just doing something that feels good in my heart, ultimately, right? That's the root of it. Whereas before, like you're saying, yeah, it just came from like low self-worth uh, and wanting to make up for that, essentially. Do you ever... Do you ever- question. So, okay. So here's, here's a place where I get trapped sometimes. I'm curious to hear your take on this. Most of the time I energetically am, am able to be of service. I would say like close to 90% of the time, maybe 85. Um, but sometimes I have this, this part of me who resists the idea of being of service because the idea of being of service and can, contributing to the well-being of humanity or the planet actually relies on a lot of assumptions Mm -hmm. such as like that it's a good thing to do that that it's a Mm -hmm. good thing to contribute to the well-being of all uh Mm -hmm. and i'm curious about some of the resistance that you might experience to being of service. And if there are parts of you who kind of don't buy into the idea of being of service, because in a strange way, learning to be of service is in kind of selfishly motivated because it ends up creating the best results possible for you. So mm-hmm. yeah, what, what's your relationship with, with that? Well, help me clarify a little bit more. So there's a, there's, there's, um, you said something that you know i'm not sure what the again that's part of the exploration here 
because if it you know if it is that thing, then that, that's a great conversation. So um, you said that there's an assumption that being of service is a good thing. Yes. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Like if if so so I'm doing a good thing. I'm doing a thing that I. Uh, that I enjoy doing, I get feedback that other people enjoy doing. Like I'm helping people access love and heal wounds, and that creates a planet where more people are able to help more people mm-hmm. transform wounds and access love. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't know that that's a good thing to do that. And there's a part of me that wants to be certain that that's a good thing, because if I knew that, then I would be more convicted in my message. You know what I'm saying? What's it would be like, no, we ha- what's that? What's, what's the part? Let's explore that. What's the part that feels like it might not necessarily be a good thing? What could be the opposite of that? I, pro- the fear, I think, is that the fear is probably um, putting myself on a stage where my intention is to help people, but but it was it was for nothing. It 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 didn't contribute to. Yeah, it's we're we're kind of like getting to a blind spot here, which is great because yeah. I don't yet have language for it. But it's it's yeah. it's almost like um, well, you chose to do this just because you liked it you liked the experience of it and that's not enough for you to be as confident and convicted as you are about the message that you're giving to the world mm-hmm. it's almost like there's this hope that there is some objective truth to the improvement or to the con- contribution right. to well-being if that's yeah. true that that's a good thing then i'm allowed to be super confident about what mm-hmm. i'm doing yeah so we're going to spiritual realm, so I think it's going into this juicy conversation. So um, spiritually, there is no good or bad, right? Everything just is, and it all, you know, at least from my, I should caveat that from my spiritual um, development and understanding of spirituality, is that there is no good or bad, right? The, the negative and the positive that happens in the world is necessary to create an experience that lets. The universe kind of experiences itself, right? Anyway, I've heard that before. God experiencing itself. You cannot experience the, the positive without a contrast of a negative force, right? So, in essence, can I can I pause you there? Yeah, go for it. But then there's something in that. So then then the question is, okay, so this there's no good or bad. It's all experience. It's all for yep. the universe to experience itself. Yes. I I um can be in that space where there's no answer beyond that. You know what I mean? Like, okay, that's it. Hmm. But then sometimes when some people speak about that, the assumption is that experience is a good thing. So there's no such thing good as thing good. There's no such thing as good or bad. There's just experience so that God can experience itself. But then sometimes that's assuming that experience is like the thing that's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, that's uh and that's another interesting um you know uh direction and and exploring. And you know, as I kind of reflect on that, I don't even know if it's necessary cuz you know, we we're one thing to keep in mind too is that we're trying to explore these deeply spiritual um concepts from the very 3D five sensory 
human brain, right? It's, it's literally locked at a capacity that can't perceive beyond. And that filter is the ego that likes to see good or bad, this and that, likes to see the separation and the, 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 the categories of life and so on, right? And so I would say that the universe, spirit, God, whatever you want to call it, that wants to experience itself, it's not like it's wanting to do it because that's a good thing. I think it's doing it because that's just the inevitable thing. Mm-hmm. Just like water running down a river, it's just running down the river. It's doing what it does. Get what I'm saying? You wouldn't mm-hmm. say it's that. Just, well, what it's a is. good thing. It's a great thing that the water is going down the river. It's just not just a function of the river to mm-hmm. flow down. Just like it's a function of the universe, God, I, you know, whatever, to experience itself. That's how I would pose that. Out mm-hmm. of that realm of good or bad. It's just the, mm-hmm. it's just the nature of what the universe it's does. It's just what, what is happening. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Does that make more sense? It it does, yeah. Um, and that I would say that pri- I spend most of my time in the space, like uh, being confident about. Okay, it is what it is, mm-hmm. and what we get to do is to make choices about what we want to do with what <laughs> is and what we want yeah. to create. And that's primarily motivated by our preferences and what we like. So if you yeah. like the the increase the 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 world's increased access to well-being then that's something that you get to create if you want to uh, i guess yeah. what it is is like the anxiety of responsibility the anxiety mm. of the truth that there really is no such thing as good or bad and that yeah. if i want to create content trying to help people there's nothing that justifies that there's there's no referee that says oh yeah Flynn that means you're a good person that's a good thing yeah. it's truly just because I have chosen to do this and there's exactly. no other rationale or justification beyond that that's what I believe I think it's just a natural flow of that remember we our first conversation about spiraling polarities yes yeah it's the same kind of idea there as at play I believe in cycles I believe in past lives I believe that you know, at one point, I was probably an asshole, evil person in a past life, and then just cycling. I was a good person, bad person, kind of just playing the game, right? And I think you see this in all of human history as well, where it goes through cycles of fall, collapse, rise, enlightenment, fall, collapse, right? You'll see that past thousands of years and even beyond. And these cycles are just the natural rhythm of the universe. And we're in a rhythm of coming back to enlightenment, so to speak, right? Elevate. And you can see it. You don't have to like, believe me, you just open your eyes. You'll see it all around you. You got people, you got people that are being vegan. Doesn't mean it's good. I was vegan. I'm not right now. I, I probably come back to it. Either way, it doesn't matter. Point <laughs> is, that just shows that people are just like conscious enough to care about the well-being of something beyond themselves. I love Same that expand, take. I right? love that take. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. And so with that, that's a signal like, oh, we're like, it's not happening everywhere, but there's enough, it's very clear that people are trying to be more conscious beyond themselves, which is a higher level of consciousness than just focus on my survival, what I get, right? And so that's the flow is moving in that direction. And some people in their incarnation, in this life will be the person that, you know, I'm going to be part of that flow. I'm going to help mm-hmm. that flow along because I've experienced plenty of other crap in my cycles of life that now this is what the next, the next stage is. And so I think it's more like, you know, you're going to know what that flow is. And if, if, if you're someone that is totally in the self-absorbed state and you just want to accumulate and that's your flow, then that's what you're going to do for this life, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe the next life, you're not going to do that. But either way, 
doesn't make that person any good or bad. It's just like, you know, it's just a different kind of like texture in the painting. That's all it is. Yep. And so Ooh, that's a beautiful, I, that's a beautiful, a texture in the painting. That's <laughs> yeah. really beautiful. And it's like an oil painting where it's yeah. three dimensional. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Exactly. Right. So I believe that me, and I believe the same thing for you. I've seen your messages and, and just talking to you that there's a natural innate, at least in this lifetime, innate desire to be of service. Now, that doesn't mean like we're just perfectly of service. We have, we have to still work through our own egoic stuff and playing the the dance between the self-service versus the service to others, which is not good or bad. It's just like you playing the dance, find out what that balance is. And mm-hmm. that it gets to be unique to every person. Mm. Uh, for me, it's moving more into like more and more the, the service to others. And there's still a part of me that definitely has my own ego human needs. Like I like to have a, a nice house, tall ceilings, big windows, I like to be around nature. Um, uh, you know, um, I like not necessarily um, nice cars, but I like a car that has like that's updated with the, the latest technology. I love technology. I like to upgrade my my electronics. I'm a tech tech kind of person, so it's just very much human ego stuff, right? So, and that's also okay, right? So, I think it's just you know the key thing is just the more you just work through the traumas, and even working through the traumas is not necessarily a good or bad thing. It's just are you ready to do it or not? Maybe mm-hmm. you're not, and then you just kind of hold it longer and maybe maybe you'll be ready later or maybe again the next lifetime again depends on what what you're ready for right and then yes. that's just going to pull you in that direction so that's the best way i would kind of like um articulate that that's actually that's really helped me i can i can feel you you've you kind of touched on this at some points during this conversation like there's one thing to get something intellectually your body tells the truth of what you actually understand. You know, yeah. <laughs> I can I can feel lightness in my heart actually as we speak about this, which lets me know that there's I've kind of like because uh, I I do have um, I do have a strong mind, and sometimes my mind needs it. It's it's not looking to be stubborn, but it is looking for like a key that just gently unlocks something that allows me to be in my heart. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm what I'm hearing, <laughs> yeah, I love, and I, it's <laughs> awesome. It's fun. It's a fun dance to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, the goal is to be in my body, but sometimes I need something to make enough sense for my mind to, to be the gatekeeper and, and allow my heart to feel it. What I'm hearing you saying is like, what increased, con- veganism is an indication of increased consciousness because what it means Not is always that- though. But generally, yeah, the 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 trend mm-hmm. probably indicates that people, a large group of people, are compelled by the idea of being invested in the experience of another being that they don't exactly. necessarily immediately identify with. Yes. So yep. it's it's just aware. What I hear in that is just aware of more of the information that's available. Exactly. It's aware of more of the information that's available. Now, what seems to happen in this experience is that there are cycles and sometimes being conscious entities, whatever the universe will be on the path of uh, increased awareness and increased Mm -hmm. integration. And then sometimes it's on the path of increased separation and increased rejection. Natural contraction, right? Expansion, contraction. Expansion, contraction. And so maybe you and I are just coming into this particular life with an inclination towards a curiosity about other people's internal experiences and a desire to help 
other people feel good as simple as that. And so yeah. let's just ride this experience out and see what happens yeah. and get the most of it. But it's not necessarily a good thing to be doing it. But what we get to do is to challenge ourselves at being good at it. Like with what you're saying, at being a, you want to improve at being a coach because you want to be better at helping people feel better internally to go into those caves, to transform the fear, turn it into love. It's mm -hmm. not a good thing, but it's just the experience that's happening. So we may as well yeah. get good at it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's just natural function of the, of the universe, right? It, it goes through an expansion and through that expansion, you're going to go through all the different, I mean, it's related to the chakras, really all the different uh, experiences of the, the, the different chakra points from the root, which is like survival right and then into creativity reproduction and into like sense of self and willpower and, ex and extending that sense of self and on and on right there's no there's no good or bad in that whole in that whole journey it's just it's a natural evolution of going from really kind of like a very contracted maybe fear is like the motivating emotion or something and then you just kind of gradually go up the ladder so to speak and then i i believe it does kind of loop back in and you repeat that cycle again right on a super macro level but it's also happening on a micro level yes that makes that makes a lot of sense to me yeah it's it's like so beautiful to think about as a kid your inclination was to be close with your mother and develop the skill of empathy and listening mm -hmm. i mean there's there there are infinite options for how you could have responded to that environment in your childhood you could have said mm -hmm. fuck you i'm not like i'm i'm shutting down from all relationships i'm rejecting everything yeah. you as a as a, this like gentle little curious nervous system oriented toward closeness and it mm -hmm. created some wounds in the process. Mm -hmm. And now it's the responsibility of your life to, uh, to actually to maximize your orientation towards closeness while transforming and healing the wounds that you learned in that journey and then helping others. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Right. Those, those wounds turn at both. The wounds are the, also the gift is the, it's the funny thing. You know, the, the very thing that kind of drives us is the very thing that becomes our gift essentially to the world if we can transmute you know the and change the relationship with it essentially i yeah. love that change the relationship with the wound allows you the, to then be able to use the wound to benefit other people to benefit you yeah. and to benefit other people absolutely one of the things that i i really i've been playing around with this idea recently i think things entities um beings really enjoy getting to perceive themselves as beneficial. Mm -hmm. And most of what we do with our wounds is unconsciously engage in a relationship with them where we communicate to them that they're not beneficial, that yeah. they are, they're only harmful and painful. Mm -hmm. And I think that relationship with our wounds actually turns them into painful black holes, which then mm -hmm. suck the joy <laughs> into them. Whereas when we yeah. can relate to our wounds lovingly and energetically communicate to them that they're actually massively beneficial, we want them to belong to us. We love them. Uh, yeah. we, they, they, we want them to benefit from us and we benefit from them. That yeah. seems to be the thing that alchemizes the wound and turns it into energy, which then can be invested into other people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a beautiful process. Yeah. And that's what gives everyone that, that their unique sort of sauce that they, you know, that they bring to the world to add to the painting of life. The painting of life. I love that so much. Hey, this is, this has been fantastic. You, um, your mind and your heart have 
probably gone to the the edges of of the places that humans have gone and it's really <laughs> really really amazing to hear you describe your experience you just you describe this experience of awareness and consciousness um i i really appreciate your perspective yeah i appreciate that and i appreciate your perspective you know i mean i don't just say that just to echo it back but i've enjoyed this conversation your ability to kind of like rephrase and articulate also very visually too um the concepts to, to kind of be able to explore it deeper is uh, really beautiful i mean it's like obviously why your podcast is doing so well because you just got that ability which is really cool thank you so much yeah i i in order i i'm very visual i need to i like synthesize or i like synthesizing and repeating it back because what i'm actually doing is running the visuals in my mind as i'm doing it and if you affirm that the words are correct then i know that the visuals in my mind are correct and it's like yep okay then i can store these in my body i know i've got this thing now yeah um, so thank you for recognizing that yeah it's cool yeah Thank you for making it with us until this point. And I'm so glad you did because that means you got to hear all of Brian's phenomenal insight, all of the stuff from attachment dynamics to Brian's story about going to his own personal hell, transforming his fears and all of the programming and conditioning he had about money and success. And now uh, obviously operating with an energy that is super attractive and creating a beautiful form of success. And I really loved the conversation about uh, what it means to be a person who wants to contribute to the well-being of the world. That has elevated my experience. So thank you, Brian, so much for being here. Thank you for being you, sharing your insights, helping people, your commitment to improving the world. And thank you all for doing the same. I appreciate you all so much. I love you. Have a great day.